Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome back to the Sword and Shield Podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erich, 960th Cyberspace Wing Commander, and today we have a very special guest, Lieutenant General Tim Hawk, 16th Air Force Commander. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be really exciting for us, to, for our airmen to hear from you. Um, I pair it, um, some of your messaging with our staff and try to translate it for them, and it'll be good to hear them. Um, have them hear from you directly as we um, as we continue to build this. I call this wing an experiment or, or the toddler. We're two and a half years in and we're still trying to figure out who we are and where we fit. And we're certainly trying to uh, meet your expectations as, as a wing and a force provider as well. Well, as 16th Air Force, we're 18 months in. I'm not sure what that would put us <laughs> on the maturation scale, uh, but really excited with the progress uh, that our team has made, our staff, and then all the wings both within 16th Air Force and, and our component partners. Yeah, we're really we're appreciative of you spending your time. I know you're busy. Um, you got a lot of things pulling at you. And, and it's exciting time in cyber, ISR, and kind of the space realm and the IW business for sure. So we're really excited to be part of that. And as things continue to grow and evolve, you know, we want to be there for you and fill those gaps where, where you need us. And, and you think you've done that really clearly with your requirements document, where we can fit. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that came come, came about and where we are with um, filling your needs? Well, I think it starts, uh, Rick, with what was 16th Air Force asked to do by the Air Force? So if we, if we roll back to October 2019, when the secretary gave us the guidance that said, integrate across ISR, cyber, weather, targeting, recce, uh, electromagnetic spectrum, information operations. The idea was to create something that we now be able to leverage the power of information and really to be able to leverage the authorities that were unique to them, what became 16th Air Force in a way that started to meet what our nation needs us to do. And I, and I think that's the beginning, which is at that time, we were also still trying to figure out what the national defense strategy meant by competition. And, and I think in some parts, of the, of the Department of Defense and the Air Force, we're still struggling to understand what competition means. I think our airmen are now providing facts of what it can be. And, and as we are getting smarter of how that integration is occurring, it's also now allowing us to really understand where do we need capacity? Do we need capacity today in terms of meeting the demand from the multiple combat commanders we're integrated with? And also what will it look like if our nation needs us to search? And we've seen some examples where we think both of those are going to apply. Yeah, those are um, those are really great. I love the examples because it helps us understand maybe that's something that we can build towards or that's something maybe that's not within our capability as a reserve force. Just not doesn't make a good fit for us and helps us focus maybe on somewhere where, where you do need us. Um, and I know you've been... Um, I know you've been on the road quite a bit. You're going to be on the road a lot with the message. And I know you, you talk about this, uh, the competition, what it means to the Air Force and helping us define what that means. I've struggled as well to try to get our airmen on board with really what does it mean. And when you're an airman down in the unit, as a, you know, doing an operator, like you're focused on 
this particular task and what you're doing and trying to bridge that gap between what you're doing to really what we need has been a struggle for me personally. And, and I, and I, I don't, I think it's natural, like with what are, we're all a product of our experiences and what we're, what we're familiar with. And, and the idea for most of us is we grew up a red flag and red flag was red and blue meeting in conflict in the air over a battle space. And, and that's, that's good that we're competent in that. And that's, that's a really traditional view of air power and what our Air Force presents and what our Air Force has to present to be able to meet the demands of every part of the joint force. But that's our frame that we start from. And that's not necessarily what the national defense strategy is asking us to do against the gray zone. Sure. And so what we're trying to now is work on a narrative and you're, and, and whoever listens to this can give us feedback as to whether it works is to draw a distinction between conventional deterrence, which is really military on military deterrence. We just watched this in action in the real world over the last month, which was Russia threatening Ukraine on their border. And as a nation and as a coalition, um, we had a traditional military response to do conventional deterrence. We saw you safety doing bomber task forces and dynamic force employment exercises, use of removing capability around the theater, partnership with allies to show resolve uh, in support of Ukraine and their territorial integrity. That's deterrence that we're all comfortable with and understand. And we all grew up with it, so it's natural. The idea, and we can see that, right? You can, yes, you can take a picture and you can see a border and you can see military forces. We're comfortable with that concept. Now, think about what is the tangible example of a Chinese hacking unit attacking our industry, which was first identified publicly in 2012, taking intellectual property from an element of US industry inside our borders. That is an area that's identified in the national security strategy and the national defense strategy that there's a role for the Department of Defense. What did we see in the 2016 and the 2018 elections? We saw another nation's military attempting to do disinformation directly against our population. Again, difficult to see, difficult to discern, and it's also not visible in front of you in the same way as that image is. Sure. And so I think it's natural that we have to spend some time as military practitioners thinking our way through, what does that mean for us as Department of Defense? And when we talk about examples, for us, one of the very clarifying examples is election security. If you would have said to Lieutenant Erridge, at some point in your future, that you would be defending the election's integrity and the systems executing an election and the people voting, you would have said, that's, that's not our job. We're the outside the borders force, we're not the inside. We're not, we're not focused on those things. Well, that changed following 2016 and the Secretary of Defense saying, election defense is a mission, an enduring mission of the Department of Defense. That's an example of what we're talking about for the future. And, and, and it's one that now it's very different. Instead of where USAFE was teamed with USER and UCOM and NATO, we were partnered with Homeland Security who led the nation's cybersecurity efforts and FBI leading the efforts for the nation on malign influence. 
we were their teammate and we were in support of them. That's a different team doing different activities and things that, that are largely very difficult to communicate because there's no image that captures that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me and super exciting, especially the way technology is moving nowadays and having these discussions with my with my own kids and my family and my parents and then you got the spectrum of generations and everybody trying to understand really what we talk about. Um, and, you know, I've heard you say that hey, John Noxoni thinks the Air Force has got it right for right now. We're headed the right direction. And this concept of convergence and, and, you know, what does that really mean? And we're converging effects like that to me is something that I, I can get my hands around a little better. Like thinking about how we use weather to influence or make decisions and, and put it all together to really help get after an operational either kinetic or non-kinetic effect is, is, is really, really exciting to me that like there's there's tons of capacity and capability here that our reservists and things we haven't even figured out yet that we can do to bring um, more impact to our nation's leaders. Yeah, and, and I think in there, Rick, I, the one area that, that I think everybody can get their arms around is how do you build a team? And what the Air Force has authorized us to do and General Maxoni has authorized us to do as our Joint Force Commander and the Director of the National Security Agency is now leverage all the parts of our team. So we're at, at one of the first things that we spent time in 16th Air Force was just a simple question. How many of our 178 active duty units were working on Russian air defense? And took us a little while to figure that out, but we had over 20 units that working on behalf of someone, whether that be doing intelligence work or thinking about electronic warfare, uh, whether it was our SIGINT team, our RECI team, uh, really thinking and planning about Russian air defense. And up till that moment, all of them were independently working for an air component, a national agency for 16th Air Force. And now for the first time, we unified them in one enterprise under one command structure that we're not changing where they're getting their task, but we can now create communities of interest, communities of practice, collaboration, to, to attempt to make each one of them more effective in the mission they've been assigned. Whereas in the past, that would have been organized by a tech sergeant or a captain finding their friend in one or two of those units. Now we can do it and we can organize it. And then I think once our, our guard and reserve teammates see that, it's much easier to fall in on a team. And, and, and I think now that we've built a lot of those teams and we've seen what it looks like in terms of their output, when you have a successful team, it's also a lot easier to grow that team. And I'm really proud of what our headquarters have been able to do to really unify it. And I think that's what you're hearing from John Maxoni, is that the ability to take COCOM intent, translate it into integrated planning for multiple COCOMs, leveraging the authorities and the access to the data we have, it's really powerful in the opportunity and we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, and again, I'm really excited for a number of reasons. I talked to some folks at DIU that are working on a project to, to spill a fine critical industry skills, make a quick connection with the requirement and be able to provide that person kind of on demand to a provider. Like say you have a really hard problem and you need somebody that works at um, some company in the cyber business. And we have a reservist there. Like, how do we access them? How do we get them in, get them interested in taking, you know, based on their job, maybe it's a two week, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a month. How do we make that connection for you to solve those really hard problems 
Um, and I think that's where we feel we can be of value to you. We're just not quite there yet. So we're in this, I feel like we're in this bridging stage where we're kind of stumbling a little bit to try to figure it out and, and help help not just you, but all the force providers, the joint team with some really critical capability that specifically maybe around SCADA and, and industry systems that we have people that we didn't even know yet that are working out there in the business. Yeah, and I, I think those are really good areas as we think about where is there unique skills that we normally don't train? Um, I think we're going to see some transitions in technology within the 688 cyberspace wing that are also going to drive us in ways that we have to play catch up on the active duty that you may be able to have airmen show up on day one ready to do. Things like zero trust at scale, how we are now leveraging our data in, in really cloud one and the larger cloud instances that we're trying to consolidate our data so we can get power from it. As we think about what does a NOC SOC look like for one of the largest networks in the world, that's what we've asked the 688 to do. They're building that. And now what does that mean for us in terms of bringing in more and more best practice uh, for them to be able to leverage? And people don't think about that. The size of our network, it's not just a DOD scale. It's, it's We're doing something that nobody else is doing, trying to do, and then multiple security levels at that. Like it's fascinating to figure out where we can help and plug in. And, and certainly there's going to be opportunities for us to do that. We appreciate your team kind of always being there for us. Um, and, and that's on a kind of transition maybe to the competition discussion here. And so cyberspace ops is what we're primarily focused on in expeditionary comp um, across the continuum of competition. And where do you see the focus for like a reserve wing like us, where we fit and plug in to best utilize these things we talked about, our industry skills, and maybe maybe some continuity in some of our, I don't know, the term legacy seemed to go out of favor, but the legacy weapon systems that we have deep experience in. So I, I would first, if I put them in bins, uh, then the first bin is we are going to be short in expeditionary comp capacity. If we're going to execute agile combat employment at scale as part of our design, uh, there is, there's no way a limited active duty force is going to meet that demand. That is clearly an area that is a, a will be a part of what ACC builds as their strategy is how do we meet the capacity need to do what we're going to try to do in multiple theaters simultaneously. And we know that, that uh, Colonel Colvin's team is not going to have that capacity. The, the second component is one of the areas that we are now getting much more comfortable with is how do we train airmen. But now how do we grow the capacity to train airmen on systems that we can now have access to for guard and reserve airmen? Because that has been one of our challenges, is being reliant on external partners to train. But I could also see us growing capacity of experts inside of our reserve component to be that continuity on training and bring expertise in areas that maybe we need to jumpstart. An example would be uh, one of our cyber legacy weapon system constructs that's hurting us today is we divided up our weapon systems and we never really accounted for the thought that we would have things that would be common to all. And we have two things right now that are common that we, we are now having to play catch up. One is how do you operate and defend in the cloud? And how do you use a big data platform that doesn't belong to any weapon system, but belongs to all? That expertise to generate analytics, to be able to use that data that's relevant all the way down to a weapon system to the enterprise solution, it's relevant to everybody. And so how we're building that together 
as now instead of independent parts, but now a whole built on our data, there's expertise that, that there will be companies and airmen that have already done much of that. And we're, we're playing catch up to some of it, but we also have pockets of expertise we can build on. The third component is the surge capacity that is, that it's clear. So when I talk about election security, I don't think that's a one-off. I think our nation's gonna be asking more and more of the Department of Defense to be a teammate in the interagency to defend our nation in cyberspace and in the information environment. If that is true, what does that mean for the capacity demands on US Cyber Command, the National Security Agency, and all of its components? And, and that would likely say, you could see scenarios where I could anticipate surge of when elections are gonna be, but now the constant becomes what's our role day to day in defending our critical infrastructure and countering disinformation attacks on America and our allies might be our steady state, but we surge and really and can anticipate those surges based off of activities in our nation. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's certainly an area that we'd love to be able to plug in and then support all three of those areas. Um, at my graduation ceremony at Eisenhower, I know you're an Eisenhower grad as well, um, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Bob Work was there and he talked about what's the next significant offset from a strategy perspective that America is going to present. You know, first one being nuclear, the second one being stealth. What's the third one? And so I don't know if we sell it or anything, but you've kind of touched on it. Is it AI? Is it, and I'm putting question marks after these. I'm not trying to lead you down somewhere. Um, is it just concept of IW convergence and being able to bring these things together in a way with sensors and ABMS and um, being able to speed that decision loop and targeting? Um, or is it just simply the concept of innovation? Do you have any thoughts on what's going to, so we're in this competition phase now, what's going to be the next thing that gets us um, back on top as the you know, leader in the free pool. So, so there, I'll give you, there's common threads across each of those. So whether it be ABMS, be the approach we've taken in IW convergence uh, or AI and ML, and that's being able to get value from your data. So data and speed are the two constants. And, and so the activities that we're doing today that bring us value from our data at speed are the things we should be investing in. If they don't, we should be considering what do we do with that capability? Is it legacy and should be retired? Uh, what I, I spent the week last week, this is, was a great opportunity for me to go see what airmen are working on in new capabilities and in AI ML. And I came away really optimistic. The work AFRL is doing uh, to build a horizontal framework for AI ML built on our Cloud One capability that's been deployed for our Air Force to be able to combine where our data rests with compute power, algorithms, smart airmen, and a user interface is something that can be, we can grow across any number of capabilities to take advantage of. The other thing that I saw last week was that I went to the AI Accelerator at MIT. And the other ingredient was taking an airman that has, an, has, has talent and has identified a problem and then equipping them to solve it. So there were two airmen there, a, a, a tech sergeant, one Bravo four and a one in one that had taken on problems after a year's worth of AI training. They're now leading MIT in how to solve the problems for a cyber problem and an ISR problem. That's excellent. It's fantastic. But what they would be able to do 
in a year would be able to use the infrastructure AFRL is deploying through LCMC to cloud one to solve that problem. And it was really fascinating to watch where you could see the pieces and the tissue coming together that should be in the hands of Airmen. One of the big things that we'll see inside of our world is in our big data platform, uh, LCMC is about ready to deploy rather than using the vendor's analytic build tools, we'll now be able to use a standard Docker-based approach where we can train any airman to write an analytic inside of a container and they can deploy that analytic against our data. And, and it will, in that case, be protected, doesn't have to be tested. The only thing we'll wanna validate is whether the analytic meets our ethics requirements and is it, is it valid to bring back decision quality data. And as they're building out that framework, it's really exciting to see all that fall into place. So I'd say data and speed are the common denominator. That's outstanding. And, you know, we hear these one-off situations where we are people that have either propensity or skill or background to do something, do great things. How do you feel the Air Force, when we're talking about now our people, we're kind of talking about mission and strategy, but our people, how do you feel? Is our Air Force ready to, like, not care about your AFSC, but take for who you are as a, as a person and skill set you bring and just plop them down somewhere and um, can and solve a problem? At, can we do that at scale? Or do you think we still got to find um, smaller opportunities to do that, both guard, reserve, and, and active component? So a couple of different thoughts. So one is I think we're doing reasonably well in small pockets. And, and the, what I think we have learned is the initial push to create software factories everywhere is not really a sustainable construct. You they have to have some sort of home that you can sustain and build on and deploy and test for things that we need. So we've learned that lesson. We've partnered now with Platform One that's local in San Antonio. And we're taking developers to Platform One to partner with them, giving the airmen the tools inside of that environment rather than recreating it. So that's how we're taking that on. I think big picture, uh, what the chief has told us. So General Brown has said he's not comfortable with our ability to do this. That's why he published Action Order Bravo to, to attack our bureaucracy. And I have seen in a number of places where it, we are risk averse to deploying capability. And, and what we've got to be able to get to is a point where we put that risk in commander's hands with good data so they can assess that risk to whether to deploy or not deploy but not get it caught in some sort of approval process that's not necessarily leading us to a good risk decision. I've personally found that in some of the capabilities that I'm, I was really impressed with what our acquisition teammates are building. They're completely in sync with us. We've got unity of effort and we've not yet been able to feel. So that's a process problem. It's not a development problem. It's not an airman problem. It's not a training problem. We, gotta, we have a couple areas that we have to attack. And I think General Brown has signaled that and, and there are areas I think all of us could identify that we've grown risk averse. And if you're going to go at speed, you're gonna to have to take some risk, but it should be measured and informed. And then a commander absorbs that risk uh, and then moves out. Yeah, it's great to hear that there's, uh, there's certainly some possibilities here in the future for us too. Certainly as a reservist, oftentimes you really, I mean, we're not as tied to an AFSC and a grade and we can certainly leverage that for you and provide somebody with that. We just got to figure out the access problem. And of course the money issue too about funding that. There's a lot of priorities right now. There's a lot of things, you know, DOD needs to pay for and our government needs. So um, really exciting, sir. I really appreciate your time. 
Um, I'll, I'll leave you an opportunity with any closing closing words for um, for the reservists, the gladiators, the 960. So one of the things, uh, first, thanks, thanks to, to everybody that took the time to listen to us today. Um, if there's something that you think that we should be doing that we're not, we welcome your feedback because our goal as leaders is that every time is to identify a barrier to an airman, knock that barrier down and let them run. And, and we know uh, that there are so many opportunities out there today that then challenges that we want to let airmen run. Um, I'm excited with the progress that 16th Air Force, the 960th, uh, our teammates across our ISR enterprise uh, have made uh, thus far in meeting what the expectation is, 16th Air Force. Uh, but we also know that while we have defined this period of time as competition, China doesn't look at this as a competition. Uh, they are looking to win uh, on a global scale. And from our perspective, it, it, it's our job to ensure that we're presenting options back to our, our political leaders that allow us to now identify the things that are consistent with our norms and values. And I'm excited with the team that we have that's been able to be very successful to date and where we're going uh, for tomorrow. Awesome, sir. Really appreciate your time again. And we're, we're here for you. We'll keep the communication open between us and your units. And we we hope to be, you know, that, that provider of choice in the future, the Ghostbusters call. You call us, we want to be there for you. Fill the gap. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, sir.